0: Open your Bibles with me if you would to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Our core kids are now dismissed. Gospel of Mark chapter 1, and if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, let's do that. When you got it, say so. And it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens departing and, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the precious reminders today of your grace toward us, God. And Lord, this morning, as we are in your word, we pray that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that you would allow us to hear what your spirit says to your church, and that we would not just hear your word, but that we would obey your word, that we would respond to you in faith, Lord, and that you would be glorified in this. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just hold your hand up, and the ushers will get you one. want to make sure you have an outline so you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. You can also take notes and answer some questions that help you to uh, be introspective on what you have heard today. And as always, I encourage you, we are supposed to be disciple makers. And this is one way or one tool that you can utilize to help you make disciples. You can use this to sit down with someone and help them grow in their faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so as we're going through the gospel of mark you can sit down with someone and say hey this is what i'm learning let me talk talk to you about this and that'll help them grow in their faith and you don't have to reinvent the wheel or something like that so this will be a helpful tool for you to do that Um, also for those of you that are following along in the bible reading challenge if you can believe it today is the 232nd day of the year hello somebody where has the year gone right 133 days left to the to this year, and so we are in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61 through 64, so if you are not following along in the Bible reading challenge, if you don't have a particular Bible reading plan, we're reading four chapters a day, every day of the week, and we're going to walk through the um, the entire Bible by the end of the year, and so hopefully you are following along, and um, that's where we are, so just continue on reading, and as if you look at your outline here, you'll see um, we are in a new series in the Gospel of Mark, and the title of the message today is, Why? the Gospel of Mark, and this series is entitled Jesus Impact, and so when, when I prayed, and for those of you that don't know, what I do is I obviously throughout the year, I'm, you know, praying and trying to be sensitive to the Lord for his direction, especially with regard to preaching and, and what God wants me to communicate to the church, and so in November, around November sometime um, in, in that month, I put together the preaching calendar for the next year, and so I sit down, just, you know, what I feel the Lord was leading me to do, I break down every week, and I look at, you know, all of that, and then I put together the preaching calendar. And so this year, the big thing for me as I prayed, if you look at your first um, point here on on your outline, not the first point, but the first part in the introduction, as I prayed about the preaching calendar for this year, I felt the need for us to be moved by faith and make a greater impact in the lives of those we encounter and so when, when we look at um, what what I preach throughout this year, in the beginning of the year we start in the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven, and we talked about living faith, talked about living our faith, and we looked at every single person that is that is mentioned in that particular portion of the book of Hebrews, and hopefully our faith was challenged for us to live, right, to live our faith out. And then we just finished um, probably one of my favorite series in the book of James, and so James was great for me. Um, it was testify, you know, talking about us. Being being witnesses and really dealing with our faith and how we're supposed to live our faith. And so that's what we dealt with there. And then now we're in the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark, it it is one of the shortest, or it is the shortest gospel. It is also the earliest gospel that was written. And if you look at the second paragraph here, um, one commentator says this. He says, These holy pages will summon up the living image of his mind. They will give you Christ himself, talking, healing, dying, rising, the whole Christ in a word. They will give him to you in an intimacy so close that you would be less that he would be less visible to you if he stood before your eyes. And so what the writer is saying here is that when you look at the way that Mark is written and the way that Mark is communicated, he's giving you such a crystal clear picture of Jesus and who he is. And when you actually study the language, he writes very picturesque. You know, the, the writing, a lot of times when you go, you know, from you know one language to the next language, sometimes it's different. It's difficult to really translate the full thoughts, and that happens a lot within. Um, The Gospel of Mark, because you know English words, you know you have to use a bunch of them to try to um, paint the pictures that he's communicating. So my hope is that as I do this, I'll be able to paint those pictures. But that is the reason why we're in this Gospel is because I wanted to end the year. And when I say end the year, it's only August. But we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark to the end of the year, Um, and we might even enter into the new year. I'm not 100% sure about that. Still praying that through. But for sure, we will go to the end of the year in the Gospel of Mark. And so I want you to really get this. And so third paragraph here. The gospel of Mark is a gospel of action. So after we talked about living our faith, after we talked about being witnesses and you know testing our faith, I think that we need to recognize that we need to be a people of action. And this is my prayer that it will awaken us to the great impact. That's the reason for the title of the series, Jesus Impact, um, the, the impact that Jesus had when He physically walked the earth, and that we and that we would realize He is still walking the earth by His Spirit within us, and that He desires to use you to make as great an impact upon your culture as he did. Are you here? When Jesus walked this earth, what we're going to see in the gospel of Mark is Jesus made from the moment he started his ministry, he began to make a great impact in lives. He began to do something that nobody else did. And obviously the purpose is, or the reason for this is because he is God's son. That's for sure. But what I want you to know is that Jesus is living today. He's alive. He is active today. He is moving in our lives and in our hearts. And by His Spirit, He wants to use each and every one of us to make a great impact in our culture. I want you to understand that you are not sitting in this place today by coincidence. If it's your first time as a guest, thank you so much for being with us. I want you to know it's not by coincidence. You are here because God wants you to hear this message regarding who you are in Him, and He wants to use you mightily. If this is your home church, God wants you to hear this. He wants you to understand. He wants you to. Know that you are on this earth, you have called on the name of Jesus, and he has put his spirit in you, and he wants to use you mightily to make a great impact within the culture and within the days that we live. Listen, our days, you know, if if you've been watching the news, you know that our days are rough. We're living in some rough times, right? The Bible, you know, you're you're, you're seeing prophecies fulfilled. You're seeing the things that the Bible said would happen in these latter days coming to pass. But I want you to know that no matter what we're facing in our world, our God is greater. Hello. Our God is greater than whatever is going on around us, than whatever is happening. Whatever turmoil is there, there is a God of peace that wants to invade this earth, and he wants to minister to lives, and we have to be available for God to use us for that. Hello. And so here's what here's my big idea that I have this morning <clears throat> that I want you to get is that our lives must be saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sounds simple, right? Our lives must be saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the challenges that you that you will have, well, not maybe not you if you're not a preacher, but as a preacher, the one of the challenges that you have is to look at a text, and there are so many different things that are in there that you can talk about. And if I did that, we would literally be here. I just want you to know we would literally be here for like six hours, just going through every single thing that, you know, there there is in the text. I mean, we could go over the prophecy in Isaiah. We could talk about that. We can talk about all this stuff, but there is one thing that I want you to get that I noticed as I was reading this. in the three different areas that we'll see broken down, which the first one is the announcement of Jesus, and there is that we see the Spirit of God. The the second thing that we see in the baptism of Jesus is we see the Holy Spirit that is there again. And the third thing that we see in the time that Jesus was in the desert is we see the Holy Spirit again. And as I was reading through that, I realized something, how important is the Spirit of God? We We might not talk enough about the Holy Spirit. We might not talk enough about how much we need Him, And yet, John the Baptist prophesied about Jesus um, baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus was filled, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And then we see what? That the Spirit drove him or led him. And so our lives need to reflect that. And so we are for sure going to talk about Jesus. But I want you to realize this, and that's the big idea I want you to get, is that our lives must be saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to repeat this after me. Say, "As as we surrender to the promised Savior, He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. As we surrender to the promised Savior, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scriptures promise us. That's what Jesus is being, oh, that, that's what he is communicating, right? That's what's being said uh, that he is going to do. And so I want to give you some things to notice about the gospel of Mark. And, and, and if we look at it, look at the beginning, first verse here, one, one, um, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in every one of the Gospels, there is a different characteristic of Jesus that is being portrayed. And I love what one writer says, uh, or one, one, one commentator said. He says, when you read the Gospels, you shouldn't read them horizontally. You should read them vertically. And the reason why he's saying that is because each gospel is giving a depiction of one facet or one characteristic of Jesus. And throughout that, he's also connecting all of the same stories, but each of them is doing something. So, for example, when you look at the gospel of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, the depiction there is Jesus as the sovereign king. So, gospel of Matthew is going to show you Jesus, sovereign king. When you look at the gospel of Luke, he's going to show you Jesus what? His humanity the humanity of Christ. When you look at the gospel of John, what do you see? You see the divinity or the deity of Jesus. That's the reason why whenever anyone asks me, hey, where should I start reading the Bible? I always tell them the gospel of John. Because what? Because you get the divine, the deity of Christ. You get to understand who the Savior is, and that's what the gospel of John was written about. And so when you come to the gospel of Luke, you find, or to the gospel of Mark, you find that what he is doing, the depiction of Jesus here is the servant of God. You're seeing the servant of God. And the gospel of Mark could also be, if, you know, you could also say it's the gospel of Peter written by Mark. And the reason why I say that is because most would agree, you know, as far as scholars go, is that he, they, they believe that Mark was writing based on his interactions with Peter because Mark wasn't one of the, of, the, of the 12 disciples originally. And so he's getting his information by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Peter who is a man of action. And you also have to realize something else, that Mark is writing to a specific audience primarily, and that is to the Romans. And the the reason why Mark starts the way, because Mark is like, hits the ground running. Like, he's like, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he talks about the prophets, and here's what I want you to realize. He's writing to the Romans, and first of all, there's a word, doulos, which is the word for servant or slave. And so in the Roman mind, he's presenting to them this servant, this slave. And in those days, servants and slaves, according to Romans, they didn't need a genealogy because that didn't matter. They didn't have a genealogy. So he didn't start with a genealogy because that didn't matter. Didn't need to go through a birth narrative. And then also the other thing is Romans, you know, they were like, you know, those types of folk, you know, some of you are like that too. You're like, show me the money. Hello right? Like, show me the proof. Like, you know what? Don't give me the long story. I remember growing up, you know, and and I I was, I I guess I've always been a preacher because I remember even as a kid, my mom telling me, get to the point. I'm your pastor. For those of you that are here, don't be telling me to get to the point. I got to get there the long, the long way. But um, but nonetheless, I was always like, I wanted to tell the whole story. Like I wanted to go from the beginning to the end. And my mom's like, can you get to the point? Well, we got things to do, right? There's six of us. I'm the oldest. She's like, I got five more y'all to mess with again. So anyway, the, <laughs> the thing is, you know, the, the Romans were like my mom, like get to the point. Like show me the proof. You know, you're talking about this great Savior. And so what Mark does is he goes on ahead and he breaks this down. And so he goes, the first thing that hits the ground, he says, I'm the first witness. This is what he's saying. I'm the first witness, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the second witness is who? The Scriptures. The Scriptures prophesied about two people. One of them was this forerunner. His name is John the Baptist. And so the second witness is John the Baptist. And so he is the second witness that's proving to you that this servant is not some regular servant. He is the Son of God. Are you here? Then the second and the third witness is who? It is John the Baptist, the forerunner who's completing this prophecy and he is doing this to do what? He is pointing to Jesus. And then the witness after that is who? Well, in the baptism, it is the it is the spirit of God who comes down upon him and the voice from heaven that confirms who he is. And then after that, the next witness is what Mark talks about throughout and it's what? All of the miracles. Are you here? So Mark is hitting the ground running and saying, look, guys, I need you to understand. This is the proof. So the first witness is this one. It is me, the second witness, are these prophecies. And then John the Baptist, the spirit of God, and then all the miracles that Jesus does. This is the proof to who he is. And so that's the reason why Mark is written the way that it is. That's the reason why it's the shortest, the most concise. He's bringing forth. It has the least amount of the sermons that Jesus preached. It has the least amount of parables and all that. And it's because those are the types of things that his audience would have been looking for. And so it's important for us to get that. And so what does he say? A couple of things that are important. He talks about, he says who? He says, Jesus Christ. Jesus being the, being the name Yeshua, which means the salvation of the Lord, right? So he talks about that. He says, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Hello, somebody. All right? It's not, you know, Jesus Christ. Now, that, that's not his last name. Christ is his title. It is the word, it is the, it is the Greek word that is equivalent to the word Messiah or what? The one who was going to save sinners. And so this is who he is declaring from the beginning. He's saying this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, Yeshua, the salvation of the Lord, the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the one who's going to save sinners, the Son of God. Not a normal servant. This is a totally different servant. And so we have Jesus who he's communicating. And so here we are. As we surrender to the promised Savior, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And so I love the way that the narrative goes because it goes on to the prophecy. Let's look at the prophecy here. Verse 2. He says, as it is written in the prophets, and I just want to forewarn you, my first point is my longest point, hopefully. That's my goal, glory to God. So anyway, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then it says in verse 4, so this is a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that is talking about John the Baptist and what his purpose was, talking about what was the purpose of John the Baptist. Look what it says here. It says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And verse 6 says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, With a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. Hallelujah. So, some people would look at this and they think John the Baptist's purpose. You know, we call him John the Baptist, and really, you call him John the Baptizer, whatever you want. But here's the thing we would think, well, I guess John's purpose was to baptize. I want you to know John's purpose was not to baptize, John had one purpose. And in that purpose was baptizing, but that was not the purpose. John the Baptist had one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to do what? To point to Jesus. It was to prepare the way. The reason for the baptism was to bring people into alignment, to bring people to the place that they understood there is a king that has arrived. There is a kingdom that is here, and we need to align ourselves to that king. John the Baptist, 100 look, he wasn't trying to build a big ministry. Hello, somebody. He, I mean, come on, if the guy was trying to build a big ministry, he would address differently. I'm just saying, like he t- he he dressed crazy and and we're, we're, and then he ate crazy, right? Like he ate locusts and wild honey. Like, yeah, I want to do that. I'm gonna follow you, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna dress like you. I'm gonna eat like you. And then I want to go out to the desert. Hello, somebody. How many of you think? I mean, that's none of none of those things were like ideal, right? Like that was not his goal. His goal was not to build his own ministry. His goal was to point to Jesus. And for us, see, we have to have the same mentality that John the Baptist had, which is what that he understood that there was. power in him, but the power wasn't him. Are you here? The power was there. There is, And we, as the children of God, have to understand there is power in us. Amen. But we are not the power. We are not the good thing. We are not the great thing. The great thing is the king of glory. The great thing is the one who is seated on the throne. The great one is the one who died in our place. See, whenever we're doing something in the power of God's spirit, we are always to be pointing to who? Jesus. We're always, every, whenever you do something good for someone, whenever, listen, what, what, whatever you, you have as a responsibility in life, the goal for you, the responsibility you have is what? Is to point them to Jesus. Listen, as a parent, you know you what know my number one goal is as a parent? My number one goal as a parent isn't just to have children that are 100% obedient and perfect and never embarrass me in public. Hello, somebody. We would all love that. Amen. Some of you, anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Here's the thing. That's not the goal. The goal is what? It's to point my kids to Jesus. It's to point them to Christ because in pointing them to Christ, I will teach them how to live for the glory of Jesus. Hello. I will teach them how to honor, how to respect, how to do their best because in everything they do, they are pointing to the one who created them. That's what we're doing. Our goal is to do that. As neighbors, it's the same thing. I don't want to show my neighbors that I'm the best neighbor on the planet. I want to show my neighbors that I serve the greatest Savior of all. That's what I want to do. And, and listen, I can do that by doing nice things for them. I can do that by smiling at them. Hello. I can do that by saying hello to them. I'm just saying like some things that I struggle with sometimes. Smiling and saying hello. Those are things, believe it or not, I struggle with them. But here's the deal. When, 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 I, when I'm doing things, right, you know, when I, when the other day, you know, one of my neighbors, she came over and, um, you know, she, she had, you know, she's an older, older neighbor. And so she, you know, came, she saw me outside. No, as a matter of fact, she rang the doorbell. She rang the doorbell. I come outside and she's like, hey, Jason, um, do you think you can help me with something? I was like, sure. And so she said, yeah, I have this, um, you know, I have this garbage can around the backyard. She's like, and I, it's just too heavy for me. Can you bring it out? And I was like, sure, sure. She's like, yeah, because I don't think with all those muscles you're going to have problems. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, she did say that, and I just threw that in there. But anyway, um, you know, I'm I'm just messing around. Well, she did say that, but I I just had to throw that in there make you all laugh. That's why I said it. But here's the thing. When I went over there, I was was just trying to be nice, right? I was trying to be helpful, right? And and that's my heart. But was I trying to point to myself? Was I trying to say, man, I'm so amazing? I'm such an amazing. That wasn't it. I was trying to point to Jesus, right? And for us, that's the heart that we have to have. We have to have that kind of heart when we're doing anything that same heart John the Baptist has. And so here's the thing that we have. Remember, we're talking about the gospel of Mark here and Jesus. And so Jesus is being depicted as what? This servant. And so as this servant, what does it do? It helps us to see that a servant submitted to the power of God and surrendered to the will of God will be used mightily of God. Are you here? A servant who is surrendered to the power of God or, and submitted to the will of God will be used mightily of God. That's what Jesus shows us. And so what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to be submitted to the will of God, surrendered to the will of God. And, and, and I want you to realize this. Look at verse 8, and this is the one that I want to point out the most. He says this. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you. And who is that he? It's Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what is he talking He's talking about this comparison. He makes this comparison. He's saying, look, there's a baptism that I'm doing, but there's a different baptism he's going to do. There is a ceremonial baptism that I am doing right now. In other words, it's external. You see, no matter what the water is, guess what? It doesn't do anything to your heart. Are you here? You know, the last Sunday for our anniversary Sunday, we did our first beach baptism, and it was such a, an amazing experience. Like I, you know, from the shore, I, you know, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, in the water, it was amazing, but I think from the shore, from the shore, it was a better experience because I didn't feel any different doing the baptism, other than the fact that I was trying to hold my ground because the waves were intense. But I didn't feel any any I didn't feel like more holy because I was in the ocean. I didn't feel like more spiritual because you know waves were crashing on folks. But you know what, people were. The shore, and they were like, Yo, I want to redo. Hello. <laughs> you know, they're like, Man, I need to get baptized again. I'm like, Man, I must have been amazing. I'm, next time I'm going to sit out there and let y'all do some baptisms and be like, Baptize me right now, glory to God. But the point is, the water didn't, listen, them going into the water, it didn't do anything to their heart. Are you here? There's a ceremonial thing there. But what what happens is John's baptism was a ceremonial baptism. It was something that was external. But here's what I want you to get. He was saying this baptism over here is supernatural. This baptism over here is supernatural. I remember the day that I got baptized in water. It wasn't in the ocean. It was in a regular baptismal in a church. And I want you to know something. I didn't come out of the water speaking in tongues. I've seen that happen. I didn't come out of the water and start shouting or anything like that. But can I tell you something? When I came out of that water, I can promise you this. I never felt as clean and as light as I did that moment. There was something inside of me that occurred. I I can't, listen, I can't explain to you because, you know, the water was just water and it was freezing. And it's funny because I got in, it was freezing. When I got out, it seemed warm. Hello, somebody. It was like all that. Something happened when I went down in those waters and came out. You know what it was? There was something supernatural that happened inside of me. There was was a moment of identification with the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Christ. That It was just a moment. It was three months after I'd become a Christian, and I never felt that holy ever. I just felt clean. There was something that happened. And so when we talk about this baptism of Jesus, what does it mean to be baptized? It means to dip or to die, D-Y-E, to dip or to die. And the definition goes on. To cause someone to have a highly significant religious experience involving special manifestations of God's power and presence. Did you get that? When we're talking about this baptism in, in the Holy Spirit that Jesus is dealing with, listen, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not once, but every day. Are you here? Not just one experience. And listen, I'm going to say this right now. I don't believe that every single person is going to experience the same thing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you here? What I mean by that is not everybody's going to speak in tongues. Not everybody's going to do the same thing when they experience this baptism. But you know what? It's going to be an experience. Are you here? There has to be an experience. You know, I I think about it this way. If I am over here and I am married and my wife never touches me. She never talks to me. We never have any kind of interaction. But I'm married. What kind of marriage is that? That's not a real marriage. There's no experience. There's no exchange of life. There's no real intimacy that happens there. And here's what I want you to know. We serve a God who's alive. We serve a God who wants us to encounter him and be changed by him, not just here in our heads, but here in our hearts. He wants to mark our lives, and he does that by the power of his Spirit. So here's the thing. We need to believe that this is for today, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we need to experience it daily. Are you here? Now understand what I'm saying. We need to experience God's presence in our life daily. And I want you to know something. I am not up here advocating like every single day I feel God the same way. Are you here? Understand me, please. There are days, man, I, there are weeks. Listen to what I'm going to say. There are weeks that I don't feel God. Are you here? It's not because I didn't pray. It's not because I didn't worship. It's not because I, you know, it's not because I was in sin. I just don't feel God but I know that I'm experiencing something on the inside. I'm encountering him. Why? Because I'm in his presence, because I'm seeking him. And then there are moments, there are moments that I experience the overwhelming power and the presence of God. So that should be our goal, that we are seeking him on a daily. I got to run through the rest of this. Second thing, say this with me. As we obey God's will, the Holy Spirit affirms our identity. As we obey the will, as we obey God's will, the Holy Spirit affirms our identity. Look at verses 9 through 11 here. It says this, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What is Jesus doing here? We know by other gospel accounts that Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness. He came to John the Baptist, and he said, you need to baptize me. John said, "Um, you need to baptize me. I don't need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, let it be so that we fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized. In that moment, Jesus humbled himself, and he obeyed all righteousness. He was not repenting of sin. He was not being baptized because he needed to repent. Understand this. Jesus was sinless. Are you here? He was identifying with the righteous of Israel. Therefore, he did this to partake so there would be no confusion that he believed in what John the Baptist was communicating and he was part of that. But here's the thing. He does that and in that act of humility, two things happen or three things happen there. Number one, the heavens open. Number two, the spirit of God descends upon him and literally what's happening is he is at that moment being empowered or being filled with the spirit of God and then a voice comes from heaven to do what? To publicly declare you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what we need to realize is that baptism, when we're looking at what's going on here, baptism is an act of obedience for us. It's not just some external thing that happens, but it is something that is, is obedience. And so here's what occurs. When we are being obedient to the Lord, there is something that happens and it is this affirmation of our identity. And church, if there is ever a time that we need to be clear on who we are it is now listen to me the enemy is working like a puppet master in our culture he is working like a puppet master because the bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood but against powers against principality and all of these evil and these wicked that's where the battle is but guess what there's got to be a vessel through which the, the enemy can work And it's those who submit to him by whatever it is. But here's the thing you got to realize is that our culture wants us to find our identity in our sexuality. Our culture wants us to find our identity in our race. Our culture wants us to find our identity in our economic status. And you know where we're supposed to find our identity? In our creator and in creation. That is where we find our identity. Listen, you're not supposed to be identified by your sexual desires. Can I tell you something? You have an identity the moment that those chromosomes come together and you are put inside your mother's womb. At that very moment, you now have an identity. You, you, You are either male or female. And let me add another thing there. You are an image bearer of God from that moment on. Hello, somebody. That's who you are. It's not what, well, I I don't care what you desire. What you desire does not define you. Your creator, hello, somebody, the one who created you already defined you. And that is where we find our identity. That's where it happens. Listen, we are all image bearers. Black, white, yellow, purple, I don't know if there's purple, pink, whatever. Whatever. All of us are image bearers of God. This is the reality that we need to walk in, that we are the image bearers of God, that that, that's who we are, that I'm not listening. I, I, I told this story before, and I'll share it again. You know, I remember, and I was listening to the, they had these two pastors, you know, because with all the turmoil that's going on, you know, and all the, hate and all the rhetoric and all the garbage that's been happening these last few days. There was two pastors that were on television, they were both black pastors, and they were communicating and you know one of them, you know, they, they were they were talking about, you know, what they're doing in this time. And one of the pastors corrected the other one. One of them said, you know, well I'm a I'm a black man and a Christian. And the other pastor, he was actually um, like a, I'm going to say a son in the faith of this pastor. And he was like, I mean, he, two times he's like, man, you know, I affirm this pastor. You know, he's a mentor. He's a giant in the faith, blah, 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 blah. And he said, but I need to correct him on this because I am a Christian before I'm a black man. I remember when Alexis was a little girl. She was, she was young. Y'all can tell I talked about her. She loves to hear that. <clears throat> um, but I remember, and I, I've told this story before, but I remember the day that we were telling Alexis she was Puerto Rican. And she argued with us. She was like, I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I said, I said, baby, you're Puerto Rican. She said, no, I'm a Christian. And she, she didn't understand. And I'm mean, the appraised God she didn't understand right? Like, like, you know, because even before I became a Christian, my mom would tell you, I wasn't like Mr. Puerto Rico and, you know, hanging the Puerto Rican flag here. You know. And listen, I'm proud to be Puerto Rican, all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. When I came to Jesus, I really laid all that stuff down and I was really glad to say, man, I'm a Christian before anything else. I'm a Christ follower before anything else. Listen, before I'm white, before I'm black, before I'm Puerto Rican, before I'm anything, I need to, if we, listen to me, if we live that way, guess what? We'll change the minds of these people in the culture. We'll, 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 we, we will address that stuff. But when we start allowing other things to define us, we have issues. We end up where we are. I'm over my time. Hello. Glory to God. But listen, we have to have a solid identity in Christ. And what happens is the Spirit of God, you can write the scripture down, Romans 8, 16, it tells us what? It says, and the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. When Jesus was receiving that momentous identification, the Spirit of God was there, and the Holy Spirit was affirming. And here's the thing that I realized. There are two ways that we are affirmed as children. Number one is through positive affirmation. The other one is through corrective affirmation. Are you here? What does the Bible say in the book of Hebrews? It says that we shouldn't be, do what? That that we shouldn't be upset when we are disciplined by the Lord. Because what? That, bow, bow. hello, somebody. That spanking, that conviction when we do wrong, you know what that is? That is God affirming, you are my child. I love you. You know, parents, we say this, and children, y'all don't believe this, but this is true. When we spank you, it hurts us more than it hurts you. Maybe. It depends on what you did. Let's just keep it real, parents. Let's keep it real for a moment. There are moments like, like because there, there, there's moments that it's like, glory to God, I'm sending him to heaven right now. Amen, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's moments that that happens, especially, you know. Anyway, some of y'all don't believe in spanking. I'm sorry for you, but, you know, they're, they're, it's in the Bible. But here's the thing. There is, I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm talking about a spanking, right? There, there's a difference. There's a fine line. I don't believe in abuse. I do believe in correction. Amen. Corrective affirmation. And then there is the other, see that's the conviction. When you do something wrong, right, and don't, don't show your hands, but when you do something wrong, like you, like you offend your wife, or you do something wrong in your parenting, or you did something wrong toward a coworker, or, or, or a neighbor, or you know, somebody on the street, there should be something that happens inside of you, right? Like you feel bad. Corrective affirmation. You're a child of God. You're forgetting your identity. You're forgetting who you are. You're acting a fool right now, right? And then there is the positive affirmation. And it is the one where you are being told by the Spirit of God, that's how my son acts. That's how my daughter acts. That's how my, that's how my image bearer looks. Right? The positive affirmation that comes, that is the Spirit of God in us. And God wants to affirm us. And when we obey, we experience that positive affirmation that you know inside out of your heart. Like when you know you did something that God wanted you to do, doesn't it put a smile on your soul? Doesn't it make, I mean, it makes, something inside of you, like, makes you feel like, man, I did the right thing, like, like, that was a God thing, hello, somebody, like, that's what we want to do, and so the third thing that I say this, as as we're getting ready to wrap up, say, as we follow the Holy Spirit, we will overcome temptation. As we follow the Holy Spirit, we will overcome temptation. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says this. It says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. And so at the end there, we have a good, beautiful picture in that last part of the verse, the angels ministered to him. And so while Jesus is in the wilderness for those 40 days, he wasn't alone, right? He was with God, you know, the the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but the angels were ministering to him. And so we have that beautiful picture. But what I want you to notice is the first thing that happens after Jesus' identity is affirmed is God's spirit leads him, and he doesn't lead him like saying, hey, come on, son. The Bible, the word there is ekbalo in the Greek, and it literally is the word that is used for Jesus casting out demons. That's that's that word there. It's, It's a forceful word. And so why is it so important for us? Because we need to be surrendered to the will of God. Are you here? We need to be submitted to the will of God. We need to understand God has things that he wants us to do. But here's a fact. When we are walking in the direction of the Holy Spirit, the enemy is going to tempt us. Are you here? Whenever we decide that we're going to follow God's direction, the enemy is going to be right there to tempt us with evil, to tempt us to disobey, to tempt us. But here's the beauty of it, is that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we will overcome temptation. Now, I need to say this as I'm closing this point. I want you to realize Jesus is the only person who has ever and will ever be led to a place to be tempted. Are you here? Notice what the, t- what the text says. You read in other places. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Why did that happen? It was because Jesus had to pass the test in the wilderness that Adam failed in the garden. Are you here? Jesus had to go and pass the test. So for 40 days, he was tempted by the enemy. And all points, the Bible says, he was tempted. And yet what? He was without sin. What we know is this is that Jesus taught us to pray what? Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God doesn't lead us into temptation because Jesus already passed the test. Hello. And so what we do is we know that God liberates us from temptation. And here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that when we overcome temptation by the power of God's Spirit, you want to know what happens to us? Not only do we overcome the temptation, but we, come, but we become more confident in the power of God that is operative in our lives. And so here's my closing question for you. Are you living a life saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you living a life that is saturated? Remember the big idea. Our lives must be saturated in the Holy Spirit. And so my question is, are you living a life saturated in the Spirit of God? And how is it that you know if you're living a life that is saturated in the Spirit of God? Well, the first thing I'll ask you is, are you overcoming temptation or are you being overcome by temptation? Listen, and the temptation can be to cuss someone out. The temptation can be look at pornography. The temptation can be to you know, commit adultery. Um, the temptation can be to lie. The temptation can be to cheat. The temptation can be whatever it is, but are you overcoming temptation? Especially in our days, the temptation can be to hate. Are you here? That can be the temptation. The temptation can be to hate. Are you overcoming the temptation are you overcoming those temptations? And, and here's, the, here's the second thing that I'll ask you. Do you know your identity? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are in Christ? Because if you're struggling with your identity and you're struggling with temptation, I can answer the question for you know you're not walking saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us and I want to pray for our nation because I believe that we need to pray for our nation. And so the first thing I ask you to do is stand on your feet, stand on your feet, bow our heads really quickly, because I want to pray for you specifically. If you say in this place, every eye is closed, every head is bowed, if you say in this place, God, I am not living, saturated in the power of your spirit, and I want to. I want to. I'm not, but I want to. I want to see your hand so I can pray for you. Just raise your hand really quickly so I can pray for you. I see those hands. I see those hands. You can put your hand down. Glory to God, let's pray together, and then I'm going to pray for our nation. Father God, we come to you right now, Lord, and we humble ourselves before you. Lord God, we thank you so much for your great love. We thank you so much for your great grace. We thank you so much for your power that is operative in our lives. And we thank you today, Lord God, for your word that is truth and that came forward today. Lord God, I thank you for every hand that was lifted right now. And Lord, I lift my hand with those hands, Lord God. I, every moment of my life, I don't walk under the power of your spirit, Lord. And I want to be more sensitive to your spirit. I want to be filled with your spirit, God. I want to live a life saturated in your in, your, in your grace, in your love, in your power, Lord God. I want to be a, a vessel of glory. And I pray this for my brothers and sisters that lifted their hands to you, God. Fill them with your spirit right now, God. Fill them with your spirit afresh. You tell us in your word to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, God, fill them afresh with your power. Saturate them, Lord God. Resensitize their hearts, my Lord, in the areas where they're desensitized. Lord God, raise them up to be mighty vessels in the midst of a dark, dark world, God. Father, we pray, Lord, for our nation, Lord God. And first and foremost, Lord God, I pray for the church. And I pray as a church, Lord God, that you would forgive us for our insensitivity to you. That you would forgive us, Lord God, for our silence when we should be vocal. That you forgive us for our pride when we should be humble, Lord God. That you would forgive us, Lord God, for our hate when there should be love, my God. That you forgive us, Lord, for being biased in one direction or the other rather than standing upon your word. That you forgive us, Lord God, for not living the standards of your word in the midst of of this world that needs to see the light of Jesus, that doesn't need to see, Lord God, the the wrong examples, but needs to see the light and the life of God through the church. Father God, I pray secondly for our nation's leaders, Lord. Oh, Father, we lift them to you right now. Father God, beginning with our president, Lord God, humble their hearts, my God. Give them humility before you, Lord God. Let them come to the place of repentance and acknowledgement, Lord God, of where they have erred, whether it is in word, whether it is in thought, or whether it is in deed. Lord God, give them wisdom to lead this nation in righteousness, Lord God. Give them direction, Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray for all of those in our media. Father God, I pray that you would humble them as well. Lord God, that they would stop being swayed, Lord God, in the wrong directions, Lord, whether it's to the left or the right, Lord God, but that they would do what they're called to do, and that is to report the truth, my God. Not their versions, Lord God, but the truth, for us to be aware and have understanding. Expose those who are lying, who are deceiving, who are on the wrong agenda, which, Lord God, is not to bring you glory, but is to bring destruction, my God. And Father God, we pray, Heavenly Father, for those in our land whose hearts are filled with hate, my God. For those in our land, Lord God, that are racist, Lord God. For those in our land, Lord God, who hate others because of their color. And Father God, I say this, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would turn their hearts to you God that they would acknowledge that they are created in your image and that they are no better than anyone else my God Father give real repentance give real reconciliation as only you can and may we as the church arise Lord God with repentant and humble hearts Lord to proclaim the one hope that there is and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that can heal that can restore that can deliver my God. Fill us with your spirit, God. In the great, great name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.